You're listening to the Girls on the Grid podcast with Tanea and Priya. Welcome to the Girls on the Grid podcast. My name is Tanea and this week I am riding solo. Priya Richards, who is my usual uh, pod buddy, has had a pretty busy week uh, work-wise. So this week I'm riding solo, but do not fear because I have dragged one of the besterest guests that I could find in women in motorsport, especially here in Australia. I have dragged in the one and only Madeline Stewart to join me for this week's pod. Madeline Stewart, welcome to the Girls on the Grid podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Now, I have been hassling you for months, ever since episode one, to come and chat to us here on the pod, but you've just been too busy. Like, your life has been, I say my life's busy, but you have been a complete another level. You do live a pretty crazy life, so tell us a little bit about what the last eight weeks of travel and race cars has been like for you. Yeah, it has been hectic. This kind of year, obviously, the racing's picked back up post-COVID, which has been great. Um, I also run a business as well, so between the two, um, it keeps me pretty busy. So in the past eight weeks, I think I've been to um, South Australia, Melbourne two or three times, South Australia again, New Zealand, um, Bathurst, and maybe somewhere else as well (laughs) it's hard to keep track and in between all of those trips you've been going back to the gold coast to make sure your business is still standing yeah exactly (laughs) very busy awesome cool so maybe a bit of our audience probably don't know who you are you've kind of really burst onto the scene in the last couple of years here in australia really let's rewind the clock let's talk about your childhood you obviously grew up in new zealand you have uh the Kiwi bro accent. I'm sorry if that's offensive to anyone, but you're a definite Kiwi. Tell us a little bit about your childhood. Yeah, so um, I've actually been racing for uh, um, probably 12 years now. Um, So I am a third generation racer. My granddad raced cars. My dad then raced cars and then my older sister Ashley started go-karting and shortly after that I jumped in too. So I did about uh, nine or ten years of karting before I made the step across to cars. Um, And in that time in karting, we raced all throughout New Zealand. So from about 2010, um, we raced throughout New Zealand and I raced for the first time in Australia in 2013. And then from then on, we went backwards and forwards between Australia and New Zealand most weekends. Um, racing in the Australian Rotex Pro Tour and then the Australian Kart Championship, whilst also competing in the um, New Zealand Rotex Challenge as well. And also in high school. Yes, yeah, trying to graduate um, with good enough marks to kind of get into university if I wanted to as well. (laughs) Great, that sounds like it was a pretty hectic period. It was your dad who first got you in, obviously his dad, him, then your sister got involved, and your mum's also been a huge driving factor in getting you involved in go-karts you had to follow suit when ash jumped in a cart didn't you like when ash jumped in yeah you had no choice what was that first karting experience like i think i've heard you say that it wasn't quite what you expected yeah well it's actually a funny story because ashley begged for a go-kart for i think it was like two and a half years before anyone would give in dad just said no too time consuming and too expensive Um, And mum was like, oh, don't be silly. We'll do one club day in Wellington once a month. It's not a big deal. Like, she really, really wants to do it. Um, So dad was racing at Taupo one weekend, and mum bought the go-kart off one of our friends without him knowing um, and surprised Ashley and him with it. So That is such a your mum thing to do. Like, I know your mum really well, and that is such a thing that she would do. Yeah, so there was literally no going back after that. Once Ash kind of saw the go-kart, you can't really take it off a 10 year old kid um so that was really cool so ash raced for i think about a year before i jumped in um and my first time driving a go-kart was actually on the grass at home um in the backyard which mum was less than stoked about on her grass but um the first time at a track i jumped in after a local club day and did a couple laps at the end and i got out of the go-kart and apparently i said to mum like no, I don't like this mummy. This isn't for me. Um, 
so mum just said, okay, no worries. Look, just give it six months, have a go, see what you think, um, and we'll chat about it again and, and see how we go. And she just never asked me again. <laughs> so fast forward 12 or so years and we're racing cars and doing a few international things and stuff, so it, it got pretty hectic pretty quick. So you were about 13 years old when you started to travel back and forth between Australia and New Zealand, and that's not really any easy feat, like four hours each way. It's kind of the equivalent of living in Perth and coming to Melbourne sort of every weekend, which it's pretty hectic. And like at 13, 14, 15, they're pretty kind of developmental um years in terms of social life and, and schooling and all that sort of stuff how did you sort of juggle that obviously you knew that you wanted to race cars or, or do go-karting at the highest level so it was kind of really it had to be done but yeah how did you juggle that period it actually wasn't easy um I went to an all-girls school where there weren't many girls that really understood it um I had some great friends but it's definitely hard when you're kind of away on the weekends, you miss the parties and everything that happened on the weekend and, you know, you come back and it's a little bit left out. So I was um, I was spending about three days a week at school, four days a week at the kart track in my last couple of years of racing, uh, in my last couple of years of high school. And it's a lot of sacrifice. Like, you know, you miss out on friends' birthdays. I've missed a wedding, um, you know, really, really important stuff that... Um, you, you want to be there for so school was hard um, but I think for me I mean I did a lot of in terms of actual schooling I did a lot of work on the planes um, a lot of work in air New Zealand lounges and um, that kind of thing to try and keep up I did a lot of extra credit work I had to miss my school exams a couple of years in a row so I could race in Las Vegas um, which is not all bad so I did some extra credit work worked hard throughout the year to make sure I could make it up um, and then, yeah, socially, um, I was really lucky because karting created this amazing community for me where I had these amazing people and these friends that I still talk to all the time now, most days really, and, and I love those people so much. So I really feel like, although I may have lost a few kind of friends through school and that was challenging, um, I've gained lifetime friends and family that I'll have forever. So I'm very lucky really. And actually, I think that point is something we don't really touch on very often, the social element of committing so hard to something like some kind of motorsport. It's really its own separate sort of world. Even just for me, like I grew up racing motocross and I remember missing some huge like moments in my high schooling just because I chose to leave on a, leave on a Thursday and, and drive eight, nine, ten hours to like a national competition. I, I remember I missed like my debutante ball in year 10. Not that I'm really the debutante type, <laughs> but it definitely affected my social life in those latter high school years. Just like you're missing 18th birthdays, you're missing things like the Deb, you're missing, you're just never around. And even in, even in university, I look at like how much travel I did when I was like working for GRM and doing the supercars and things in my university years. And I look now and all my friends that I went to uni with, like I live with one of them, but she's got her own sort of close-knit group of university friends who she socialises with on weekends now we've finished uni. But I don't have that because I never made those connections because I was never there. So like when I spoke about how like my friends and family are at racetracks, yeah. and I think I mentioned, I mentioned in a previous episode how I decided I didn't need race cars in 2020 I was like don't need it and I was like oh cool I have no friends outside <laughs> of this like this is this is my community and my family and it's because I made the sacrifice to travel and miss like the big uni parties or the big high school parties and never ever made those connections and we don't talk about that we don't talk about the social sacrifice that comes with choosing to chase this dream if you will yeah and in fact like being on a podcast that supports women in motorsport specifically, um, I often get asked why people, why I think there's not as many females in the sport. And I really think that this is a huge barrier, you know. It's really hard when you're 15, 16, and school feels like the most important thing in the world, and those friends feel like 
the the be all and the end all to then actually be brave enough to walk away and say no I need to commit to this goal I have where I want to achieve something amazing in my sport and I have to give it a hundred percent to do it um and like you know some some people find that really hard to make that sacrifice and I definitely I definitely know that growing up um with a lot of guy friends, they didn't seem to have this kind of barrier um, at school, I think, that I kind of had, you know, being the girl that races carts is a lot more unique than being the boy that goes go-karting. And it's just until we um, end up in a place where it's a little bit more balanced over time, which I really think is happening, you know, like, I went to the Australian Kart Championship the other week and we did a girls photo and there are heaps of young girls coming through, which is so awesome. So they just need the support to be able to continue on from those younger classes and keep pushing as they get older and, and making those sacrifices that need to be made. And, um, and yeah, we'll end up easily with more girls in the sport. Yeah, definitely. And it's about creating communities at events where people can feel included, like having things like Girls on Track and and initiatives like that where women can come in, women and girls can come in and choose that side, like choose the, the karting or the media or the motorsport career, whatever it is, and instantly have that family that they might think that they're losing if they choose to walk away from the high school or the university socials, like both of us did. But, like, we never had that. So now for us to be able to build that, is, is really important and to we've kind of gone off a little bit of tangent here but I think this is really important to talk about because no one speaks yeah. about it yeah and like I like I said I've been incredibly lucky that I have been so supported from a young age and I've had so many friends in motorsport like you know I I had the best childhood go-karting I just think Ashley and I were the luckiest kids we had um, family friends that we would spend our holidays with for two weeks where they'd come and stay at our house and we'd all just hang out, we'd go hire karting, we'd all sleep over at one house and there'd be like 10 of us. Um, and then we would go to each other's houses on the weekends where we weren't racing and stuff. So I've always had that amazing kind of group of friends and I think um, that helped me and I, I hope that girls can like take the risk and kind of find those friends as well and and make the sacrifices so that we end up with more more girls in motorsport and like we always say the motorsport will be a better place when there's more women in it it's just it's just the truth so let's get a little bit back on track now because i have so many great questions to ask you and before we get going into the depths of madeline stewart i just want to bring up one thing and share a story a little known fact that madeline is gonna kill me She's going to kill me when I tell the world that this is a thing. Now, I grew up in the era of the OG Disney Channel, right? And she blinks her eyes and kind of almost sighs when because she knows what's coming. But there was this great segment called What a Life that featured on Disney Channel during my childhood. And I can see the disgust and the shaking of her head. And you actually featured, you featured on one of those episodes, all right? Madeline Stewart featured on What a Life. And if I channel back to like my 10-year-old me, I'm super jealous. But I've also tried to find it and I cannot find it anywhere on the internet. You've showed me once and I will have that imprinted in my brain and I will forever enjoy that. But I guess you're probably, based on your reaction, kind of lucky that it's never really ended up online anywhere. But yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Tell us about the behind the scenes of being on every sort of OG Disney Channel kids dream, which is a what a life feature segment. Um, well, yeah, first of all, please no one watch that. Um, please, please do not Google that. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, um, I got to do that when I was, oh, I don't even know how, I, how old I was when I did that, but that was pretty cool. They kind of got in touch and, um, and said that they wanted to do a segment on me. Obviously, it was still kind of unique, um, a, a young girl growing up go-karting so yeah we went out to the local track and they um they filmed me chatting about um about my racing I did a few laps I actually did a lot of laps like it's crazy I did so many laps where they filmed on different corners and then when I watched the segment at the end it was like two seconds of like on board and I was like I drove around in the wet for like two hours while they got all their different angles and then they pieced it together 
for like a few seconds and I was like, that was terrible. But, um, but no, that was really, really cool. I was very lucky to have that opportunity. So um, yeah, that was a bit of fun. And how about the, the secret of showbiz where they told you to just take your helmet off with your hair out and like you just, you don't wear a balaclava and they just expect you to just have your hair flapping about? Yeah, so the bit that I hate, and this is why I don't like people to watch it, but they were like, oh, we want you to drive up to us and like pull your helmet off and like flip your hair. And I was like, oh, no, like, I wear my hair up and I wear a balaclava. It's, it's not really like that. That's not really real. And they were like, okay, but but can you just do it? <laughs> and so I did it. I pulled up. I, like, pull my helmet off. And my hair is an absolute mess. My face is bright red. And I'm all bunched up sitting in my go-kart with my suit, like, up around my head. And I, I just look like a marshmallow. And I, I just couldn't believe so many people saw that. Oh, so good. I've only seen it once, but it will be forever burned in my brain as a great moment. <laughs> no one Google that, seriously. Don't no, Google it. No. I, tr- I tried to Google it and I couldn't find it, so you might have some luck there. If someone finds it, though, like send me the link, please. If someone listening finds it, send it to me because I want to watch it again. All right, all right. So let's go back to karting days. You had a fair bit of success. You were pretty good. <laughs> like You had a fair bit of success during your karting days. Tell us what that period was like. Like You won a state championship and you really kind of battled with the boys in, in KZ2, which is, I don't know, what people have told me, like one of the hardest categories in karting. Yeah, it kind of went all right, my go-karting. Mum called it. So when I first kind of started, I was so ridiculously slow. Like, I remember my mates being like, Mads, when I first started, I got lapped at, like, one race meeting, and that was it. I reckon I got lapped for, like, an entire year. Like, I was so slow. Mum used to joke that you could, like, get out and push the cart faster than I would drive it. Um, But I was quite happy doing that. It was cool. I was driving around. I was doing my thing. Um, And then every now and then, I'd have what mum would call a flash of brilliance, where I'd just do something unbelievable, whether it be, like, an unbelievable pass or I'd qualify, like... We did this meeting called um, Cart in the Dark, and I was, I qualified second. I was on for pole, um, and my engine blew up, but I qualified second, and everyone was like, where the heck did that come from? Um, And so I had a few moments like that, and that kind of kept us going when the bad weekends were happening. Um, I then started racing in Australia in um, the trophy series. So that was kind of like a one-make series where we all drove the same go-kart in juniors and there was limited setup changes. Um, and that was back in the days when Rotax Challenge, the, the junior field had like 60 to 70 carts, which coming from little old New Zealand was pretty intimidating. So we did trophy series where there was about 12 of us um, just to kind of get used to the Australian tracks, get our eye in a little bit. Um, I then moved into juniors where I raced in... <laughs> Um, juniors in Australia and I did not finish a single final for a whole year (laughs) so we just had a lot of bad luck in that year a few crashes and stuff and (laughs) is what it is but New Zealand was going really well the racing there was going well at the time Um, I then got approached by a team to join a team that um, he he saw me race in New Zealand and um, I had a pretty good weekend, so he invited us to be a part of the team in Australia, and we jumped in and, and did that and did a little bit of testing. I did. I then moved up to seniors, um, and in my second meeting in Rotax Light, I put it on four in a class of 30-something really experienced seniors when I was, uh, I think, fresh 15, and there was all these kind of older guys that had been national titles, killing it for years, and this little blonde 15-year-old girl puts it on four. So that was a pretty cool weekend, and that was kind of the start of where things got a bit serious. Um, so from there, we kept racing, doing lots of practice, lots of laps, um, had some really good qualifying, good result, and that was in 2016. Um, I then jumped in 2017, round one, um, finished second for the round, so first podium, which was pretty cool. Um, and then round two, won, so won my first state title, um, first female to win a Rotex um, Pro Tour round in a 
I think ever or a lot of years I think ever um, which was kind of fun um, and then I was leading the championship all of a sudden so um, I led the first half of the championship and was in contention to go to the Rotax Worlds which was our goal so top three in the championship go to the Worlds um, first few rounds went really really well and then we got slammed with mechanical failures in the last half of the year so a throttle cable jammed on in one final, a tyre went flat in another final um, and yeah three out of six rounds were awesome, three were not so awesome so um, it is what it is but still had some really cool results in that um, and then kind of made the step up to race KZ2 as well which is a six speed shifter cart um, they go pretty quick and that is my absolute favorite thing to drive ever. Um, so yeah, did a bit of that. They're pretty hectic go-kart, but mixed it pretty well. Um, had a few top six results, which was cool and had some good pace. So yeah, plenty of fun in karting. And that's it. Karting's not just about how good you are as a driver. There's so many <laughs> other things like how good other people are as a driver and if they want to shunt you, I guess same as race cars, but... <laughs> Yeah, you can be the best driver in the world, but if you don't have luck or kind of right place, right time on your side, it's there's not a whole lot you can do, is it? No, there's so much to it and so much to karting and so much to car racing. And I think that's why when we do win, we are so excited because there were so many things that had to go right for that to happen. Um, so, yeah, plenty of fun um, in karting and some really solid results. I'm actually back racing karts again this year. So back doing the Australian Kart Championship, um, which is really cool. Just Dad and I in our little pop-up tent um, and a toolbox, which is cool. Back to kind of grassroots karting, so a bit of dad-daughter time. That's awesome. So at 18, you and your family decided to make the move from New Zealand to be based in Australia. Your sister Ash was already living over here in Melbourne, and it's a little bit of a funny story about Ash and I. So Ash and I actually lived on the same university campus, like seriously, in two different buildings, maybe 50 metres away from each other for two years. Like we both lived there for two years. And I actually only met her in September of the second year. Kind of shows the fact that I was not Miss Social, like because I, I was never at uni. I was always at a racetrack. But we only met in the second half of the year, which, yeah, was crazy bizarre to me when I was like, like, are you actually a chick that is in a motorsport? Like, this doesn't seem real to me. Because we would have been the only two women on that campus out of probably a thousand students that were into motorsport. And um, it was only when I was actually filming with, like, a her personal trainer at the time. We were doing, like, a showcase video on Ash and how she raced and, and all that sort of stuff that we connected the dots. And Ash comes over to me and she's like, you're Tanea, right? I'm like, uh, yeah, like, who the heck are you? And she's like, oh, no, I've seen you getting around the university campus because I was in a moon boot for, like, 11 months during the, during the year of 2018, and I was on a scooter, so everyone just knew me as, like, the scooter girl. So it was, like, one of those scooters that had the, the little platform and you put your knee on it because I had a big moon boot and I was already, like, you know. So I was getting around a scooter, so people just saw me around as, like, either in a moon boot, which is not hard. To, like, when you see someone in a moon boot consistently, you remember who they are. And then when even worse, when you see someone on a scooter in a moon boot, you remember who they are. She came over to me and she was like, oh, yeah, like, I've seen you around uni. I'm like, all right, like, yeah, uni. She goes, no, nah, I live on res, like, like uni res. And I'm like, no way, so do I. We connected these dots and I was like, oh, my God, you're a chick in motorsport who lives... 50 metres away from me. And basically, we've been best friends ever since. That's kind of that story. I mean, and then she goes and moves to London and, and you know, that's fine. Let's not talk about that. I might cry. That's fine. Kidding. Love you, Ash. <laughs> and Mads just, like, wipes the tear away. It's fine. She's living her dream. It's good. Okay. Back to Madeline Stewart. Hi, Ashley, because I know she's definitely listening to this. <laughs> but what was the kind of catalyst for you and your family to make that big move over the ditch? Um, just the, there's so many more opportunities. Um, so by that point, so we lived in New Zealand 2018 and I actually um, jumped in my first race car, which was a Super 3 car for Brad Jones Racing. So he came out to the go-kart track because Macca was racing with my team. Um, and I met Brad and he, he basically said, look, I'd love for you to jump in 
to one of my cars. So we went and did a test day with him and that's kind of where everything escalated. So we did a, um, a few test days with Brad, decided that we were keen to do Super 3. Um, I had finished school that year, so I finished off school in New Zealand and then straight after we finished, um, I finished school we moved to Melbourne. So we lived in South Melbourne for a year, which was very cool. Um, but we decided that the weather wasn't our vibe. So after a year, we made the move to the Gold Coast. I'm still not, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm still angry that you guys left me because I would, I would come over, like, twice a week for dinner. Yeah. And yeah. it was great. And I'd be like, just knock on the door, hi, I'm here. Like, I'm the third child. I'm just going to come and move in. And yeah, and then they just and then they decided to move to Gold Coast, but that's fine. It's all good. No, no burden, no, no grudge held or anything. You now have a holiday destination on the Gold Coast. You're welcome. I, that is very true. I now just like live there <laughs> half the year. I'm like, hey, Andrea, I'm coming to stay. And then Mads will come home from work one day. She'll be like, oh, today's here. Like I didn't even know you were coming. I'm like, hi. To be honest, that's standard at our house. It's, it's a halfway house for everyone in motorsport. <laughs> it is. We, we have someone different staying every week, to be honest. It's good. Keeps it interesting. But my next question was about the Brad Jones kind of introduction and, and all that sort of stuff. So tell us a little bit more about what that Super 3 experience was like. If I throw it back a little bit, my parents were not the parents that were like, my kid's going to be the next Formula 1 driver or V8 Supercar driver. My parents were like, look, hardly anyone makes it as a professional driver. It's probably not going to be you. So work hard at school, go to university, make enough money so you can race cars. Because that's what my dad did. So that's how I grew up. That's the mentality that I grew up with. So the Stuarts were never going car racing, ever. Too expensive, never going to happen. Um, and I ended up racing in this karting team in Australia. Smashed out some pretty good results. And then all of a sudden, um, my driver coach kind of said to me, look, I think you have something that, you know, this kind of talent that needs to go somewhere. Like, you need to go somewhere with this and you need to make the next step. Um, so he made the introduction to Brad Jones and Brad um, put me in the car, which is pretty cool. So I'd never driven a race car before. First race car i ever driven. Ashley and I both did it. So he wanted us both. Um, and I was like, Ash, you go first. You go first. I don't want to go first. You go first. So I made her jump in first. And they literally were like, this is the gear stick. This is how you start it. Off you go. Like, there, that was it. I, there was no simulator, no, um, no passenger laps, no explaining anything. It was just like, see ya, have a crack. Um, so fully thrown in the deep end, but absolutely awesome. I, the one thing I remember was leaving pit lane and turning off the um, speed limiter and I like it I didn't realize how much throttle I had on so it just took off and like wheel spun underneath me and I just was like oh my god the power like unbelievable um and that was like the moment where I was like oh this is cool like <laughs> this is what I have to do and um so we did a few test days with him and and then raced a Super 3 season the following year. Um, so I literally went from KZ to Super 3. And the whole idea behind it was, at the time, it was Kumo Series. And we were like, yep, no one really watches that. Look, great car, but it's on at like 7 a.m. in the morning or like 5 o'clock at night. Not on TV. No big deal. Whatever. Like, let's enter that. And then next thing, it became Super 3. And then next thing, all these drivers started to enter and it became actually an amazing field of really high caliber drivers that drew a lot of attention. Um, and it actually became such an awesome category to race and to watch. Like, I think fans loved Super 3 more than Super 2 at the time because... Your plan and your family's plan <laughs> was to fly under the radar. Like, you didn't fly want the attention. The you wanted to just get in the car, learn how to drive a supercar, fly under the radar and then decide what was next. But next minute, like, it's Super 3, it's associated with Dunlop, it's associated with supercars, like, it's an official supercars pathway category. And you mm -hmm. got people like Brock Feeney. You raced against Brock Feeney, yeah. who's now, you know, Shane Van Gisbergen's teammate. So you <laughs> raced against him in Super 3. You raced against yeah. Jaden Ojeda, Josh Fife. You raced against, like, people, like, all these guys. Zach Best. Yeah, Zach Best, is. who's now leading... Well, almost, I don't know, 
doing really good things in Super Two. So it was it was not it was not an easy field to debut in, and all these guys had done previous car racing, like Toyota Six or something like that. And you're like, hey, KZ Two, <laughs> knock it on the door, yeah, let me have a go. Yeah, but that's exactly it. Like, Mum was like, nah, we'll fly under the radar. Like, Brad was like, no, don't worry, it's, it's categories not too big. Jack Smith had done it, and you know, no one even really knew about it. And then, yeah, it just blew up and then just became this thing that drew all this attention and there was no more flying under the radar. It was a very open, very um, very popular class, which made it um, – learning was very much in the limelight. I was really learning on the go with a lot of people watching, which is challenging. And you also had the added attention of being a chick. Yeah, exactly. You know, like that's not something that, that – kind of people take lightly when they like you had a supercars life episode done on you on your debut round I'm pretty sure yes I did yeah so um supercars came and chat to Macaulay and I because Maka um had been mentoring me and yeah I had a supercars life episode where they um chatted to me and stuff which was cool so yeah plenty of attention which was uh, very cool and I'm very lucky but it definitely meant that um Everyone sees the highs and the lows. They they see the learning and the mistakes. Um, but I'm incredibly lucky that I have this awesome fan base that have kind of been with me from then um, and is still supporting me now. Yeah, that's so cool. So during COVID, everything in Australia kind of, if I put it lightly, kind of hit a lull. Like it all just kind of went from 100 to zero and we all just kind of sat around for a while and twiddled our thumbs. But during that sort of COVID period, you and your sister and your whole family connected with the Bamba brothers, so Will and Earl Bamba. And that's kind of how you sort of got shifted towards the Porsche path and had some racing over in Asia and some plans like that. Tell us about how that came about. Yeah, so um, I think it must have been 2019, um, Will and Earl got in contact with Ashley and I and just said, hey, um, you know, we're supporting young Kiwi drivers and we'd love to bring you over um to KL and to drive one of our Porsches at Sepang and um and jump in and do that which kind of blew our minds a little bit um so we flew over we did that but honestly it's probably one of one of the coolest things I've done Sepang is unbelievable track um I drove the Porsche which I loved um and so we did a test day with them a few days in a row and then I think it would have been early 2020 we flew back over like right before COVID really hit Australia. We were overseas, um, did another few test days, came home and we had the plans to do the Thailand Super Series with them racing a Porsche, which I was incredibly excited about. Um, the highlight of that was I was actually meant to race as a support for the Vietnam Grand Prix. Um, so that's that's my COVID sadness when people talk about what they missed out on. I missed out on racing at the Vietnam Grand Prix. Um, yeah, so we were meant to do that. Um, and obviously that didn't happen because we hit COVID pretty bad. Um, but kept chatting with Will and Earl and they kind of decided that they wanted to set up a team here in Australia. And they pretty much said, look, if we, if we make this work, will you drive with us? Will you come across from Super 3 into Porsches and um, do Sprint Challenge? And I said, yeah, 100%. I, um, I personally think Porsche is a really strong pathway at the moment. And who better to mentor you in a Porsche than Earl Bamba? So I'm very, very lucky. Um, so they've set up shop here on the Gold Coast. We are a Gold, Gold Coast-based team. And the team is just growing and growing. So very cool to be a part of that. So now that you are on the Porsche path, would you say that, or do you feel that supercars is sort of finished for you? Or, or what do you think about that? No, it's definitely not. Um, I grew up racing, uh, watching supercars. Like, you know, I'm pretty sure I've watched every single Bathurst since I was born because dad put me in front of the TV. In your, in your like cotton them. high chair, you had no choice. You couldn't <laughs> crawl or anything. You weren't going nowhere. No, that's it. Like, we were set for the race, and mum and dad always argue that Ashley and I would fall asleep in front of the TV every time the race cars are on. Ashley still does to this day, watches anything, falls asleep on the couch instantly. She's going to yeah, hate I... that you just outed her for that. <laughs> She's going to hate that. Yeah, I know. Hi, Ash. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we, we love supercars, and I, I love Australia. 
Um, so it's not it for me in supercars, I hope. But I definitely think the Porsche pathway opens up a lot of opportunities internationally. I'm very lucky that Earl has some amazing connections worldwide, um, which hopefully once we get a few more laps in and hopefully do a full season this year, we can start to explore more opportunities um, beyond Australia. Yeah, awesome. And I really love the Porsche category. It's, it's Especially here in Australia, it's so good to watch. And who better to have on your side than like the Bam, the Bamba brothers, really? So, what would you say? Like, I know a lot of our listeners will be really interested. What are some of the main differences from, I guess, a driving perspective between the Super Two slash Three Car and the Porsche Nine Nine One Cup Car? Have you driven the the Two yet? The Nine Nine One Dash Two Cup Car? Yeah. So, um, the car I'm racing this year is a Nine Nine One Dot Two. Um, and the car that's just been released is a 992 this year. So I have been... I can't keep up. It hurts my brain. Like the 99s and the 2s and the 1s and the dots. Yeah. Like Porsche, just <laughs> just simplify it, please. I talk to people in like the Porsche category. I'm like, oh, so you doing the 991-2? And they're like, yeah, for the last three years. I'm like, oh, damn it. I sound like such an idiot. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. Um, yes, I... I'm very luckily, I got to do five laps in the 992 the day that they were released. Um, yeah, very cool, very cool car. Hopefully, in. I've heard a couple of the older drivers, the ones that are more used to the Porsche and had a lot of laps in the 991.2, they're a bit like this car's super different. Like, they don't really kind of, haven't really adapted to it as easy. But then I spoke to someone like Callum Hedge and he's like, yeah, this is sick. Like, hasn't had a whole lot of laps in the... I like only did Bathurst in the 991.2 and then jumps in the new one. He's like, yeah, this like really suits my driving style. But then someone like a David Wall or a Dale Wood has had a little bit more trouble adapting because they did so many years in the, in the previous gen car. Yeah, 100%. We've um, heard the same thing up and down the grid as well. So um, it's definitely different. Um, they're quite different aerodynamically. Um, and the way they turn is very different. So I think not only are the drivers finding it different, I think teams are learning a lot about setup. I think it, it goes almost a bit in the opposite direction to what you would with the 991. Um, so everyone's learning at the moment, which I think is really cool for the category, actually. It's kind of like, you know, who can learn it the quickest and who can make the most of what they've got. And um, it's definitely made for some interesting racing, especially at the Grand Prix. A little bit of carnage, but um, good to watch nonetheless. Um, so yeah, it's it's different. But in terms of Super 3 or a supercar to a Porsche, obviously a Porsche is a rear engine car. So that definitely makes the technique required quite different. Because a huge thing in motorsport is about weight transfer. And using the weight transfer to give you the maximal amount of grip. Um, so in a supercar, the weight is naturally more over the front. Um, so when you are braking and the weight goes forward, you've got pretty good turn and you can kind of keep the weight on the front. Not too, um, It's not too hard. Whereas in the Porsche, you really have to use your braking technique to keep the nose down. Otherwise, if it lifts up, then you end up with a bit of understeer. Um, so that kind of thing is probably the biggest difference as well as um, the tyre. We're very lucky in um, Porsche that the Michelin tyre is awesome, so we've got plenty of grip, um, plenty of power um, to use that grip. Whereas um, in the supercar, you have to be really careful on the throttle. It's quite a slow throttle progression because um, it can pretty much break into wheel spin easily or step out a little bit just because there's a lot of horsepower relative to the grip in a supercar. So slightly different techniques in braking and throttle, which um, does make them a fair bit, fairly bit different to drive. Yeah, cool. That's that's actually super interesting because I'm sure a lot of people are like wondering why is Porsche and sort of Super 2 or Super 3, whatever car it is, so different. But that's really cool and thanks for explaining that. But like your 2022 season hasn't even started yet. We're in almost in May and you guys haven't done round one. Now, it's a bit different from last year, the Michelin Sprint Chuck, the Michelin... The Michelin Sprint Challenge cars get the last year's Carrera Cup car. So they get the, you previously had the 991.1, but now this year, and she nods because she's like, oh, today's going to run. 
But now this year you get to drive the 991.2, which is what the Carrera Cup category race last year. So is that a learning curve for you? Like, how's sort of testing gone? You haven't even had a race yet and we're nearly in May. Yeah, it's definitely a late start for us. I am itching to get racing. Like, we've done a fair few test days to start off this year. Um, obviously, we didn't get very many laps in last year. We did two rounds. And that was right at the start of the year. So um, we're really trying to kind of build some momentum. I mean, I've been in cars three years. I did a, a full season in 2019, of, which is a full season of, I think, five or six race meetings. Um, and then two years of kind of half years. So we're really hoping to build some momentum this year and um, and actually carry on from each day and each race weekend just because um, it's – yeah, it's hard when you have such big breaks between. So, yeah, we've done a few test days. Um, the 991.1 to the 991.2 aren't too different. Um, the .2 has a little bit more torque, but in terms of driving, not overly different. Um, but testing's gone really well. Um, I'm very excited to get racing. We've, um, I've already learned a lot kind of this year, and um, we've, we've really picked up some pace. So, yeah, end of May... Um, right at the end of May, basically June, literally like the 29th of May, um, we get to actually race for the first time. And you know I'll be there as your personal photographer and videographer getting that gram content. It's like my favourite thing to do. Yes, it's a very important job, that job. <laughs> so last year you had your first debut kind of Porsche experience and he's only got three rounds done. Is that right? You only got three rounds because it was two rounds, two rounds. And one of those, one of your main races was like cut short because of a crash or rain or something like that. So you had like, what, four races in the entire year or something, something crazy like that. That's really not a whole lot of time to do learning, to learn a new no, car. Yeah, no, it's really not. And I think like that's what I kind of found so difficult um, last year. And yeah, so we um, hardly did any racing and then had this kind of entire year of a test day here and there where we could, hoping to race. There was a lot of like, yep, we're racing. No, we're not. Yes, we are. No, we're not, which is quite up and down as a racing driver. You kind of build up this excitement and this preparation for something that then doesn't go go ahead, which I know um, people all over the world have faced that issue as well. So, um, yeah, not a lot of racing, not a lot of time to learn, but yeah, this year testing's gone really well. Plenty of testing, plenty of momentum. Um, racing a few different things this year as well to try and get as much racing in as we can pre um, pre round one. So, what is it like working with such a sort of professional outfit like the EBM or Alabama Motorsport team? I'm doing some of their content stuff uh, this year, and I've been working from working with them for a little while through through Matt Payne and. It seems like they're all such a great like group and a really good team, and it shows their kind of level of um, their level of professionalism. The fact that Dale Wood bought his car over to race with them this year, and he's a, he's a seasoned pro, so it kind of shows like where they're at and how where they're operating. But it's run by two of like two guys who have been and done it, and they really sort of burst onto the scene last year in Australia with Matt Payne, who kind of went hello, I'm here, let me just start polling and winning races and, and really sort of turning some heads. So given like all of like Earl's and Will's success overseas and even here with the Bathurst 12-hour, what's it like to be involved in such a successful operation such as EBM? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm definitely lucky. Um, very cool team. Everyone in our team's awesome. Um, so Earl, Earl is not just an experienced driver but an experienced team owner so um, he had a team based in Asia and because of that he then has all this knowledge on how to run a team successfully what you do need what you don't need what systems work and he's constantly trying to evolve our team and coming up with new ways that he can better us as drivers um, better the team make us more efficient more cost effective I think that's a huge thing that people underestimate about Earl is He's genuinely doing this to help young Kiwi drivers get somewhere with their motorsport. Um, he he doesn't get a whole heap out of having us. He he just has like the very best intentions for us. So um, that's very cool. And obviously he's got plenty of insight from a driving perspective. So we're very lucky to have him. 
Um, ben Jenkins um, is our team manager and our engineer as well, and he's full of experience, done plenty of things. Um, his dad, in fact, used to kind of work in Formula One teams overseas and stuff as well. So um, plenty of knowledge in our team, plenty of experience. Ben's engineered cars all over the world, um, all over long endurance races. He, even in COVID, was engineering from his house in um, kind of in, in – yeah, in his house in Australia while the rest of the racing was going on and the rest of the world kept moving. So I think for me, it really says something when Earl Bamba calls up my engineer wanting some help and some advice. And so I have full trust in our team, full faith. Mechanics are awesome. Um, we have a driver coach that has moved to Australia this year to help us as well, Reid Harker. So it's really coming together. I think we've got six cars now that we run. Um, so it started off with kind of me um, wanting to be a part of it. And since then, there's been more and more um, Kiwis join and a couple of Aussies as well. <laughs> you have to tolerate those Aussies. Yeah, they hang around a little bit. <laughs> Bloody Dale and Ryan, how dare they? I know. <laughs> um, so no, it's pretty cool. It's, it's a fun environment. We all get on really well. I actually grew up racing Matt Payne, Ryan Wood and Callum Hedge. Um, literally in go-karts from like tiny age, like in cadets. Ryan and I used to come from the same club um, in Wellington. So we've known each other for years. We all get on like a house on fire and have a lot of fun. So professional, but also a really, really good time. Yeah, awesome. So this week we're both heading over to Perth. We're going to jump on a big old plane and, and sit there for a couple hours and then land in the land of the Western Australia, which is... I'm glad, let's just say I'm glad we only do it once a year because, yeah, she's a hike. It's not as bad as the Darwin flight, but, I mean, the Perth one, you're just like, oh, especially I'm on the midnight flight home that leaves, I'm on the red eye, it leaves Western Australia at, like, 11.30, I think, and it lands in Melbourne at 5.15. It's only a three-hour flight, but, like, ugh. So I will definitely be having a bevo or two in the airport to kind of just calm my nerves and try and get a bit of snooze on <laughs> but yeah you're racing in radicals over at Warnery Raceway this weekend yeah tell us about that yeah I'm so excited so um I raced with Arise Racing in 2019 so my first year of Super 3 um I did F1000 up there which these little open wheelers um and absolutely loved it the team there are awesome super professional and have this like awesome workshop at the track where we um kind of went arrive drive and anyone can do it they'll have anyone so um that's pretty cool so I, I did a year of that and the plan was to kind of keep going over there I have BD there who was driver coaching me at the time as well um and just helping me learn a few things so um that kind of all put a came to a stop a little bit when um WA shut the rest of the country out. When Western Australia became its own continent, basically. Yeah, literally. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we we finally get to go back there. I caught up with the crew at um, Phillip Island when I raced a GT4 car. They had the radicals there. Um, and then they contacted me not long after and said, hey, would you be keen to come and race a radical in Perth? And we just thought it such a good opportunity to jump in a car and have a whole race meeting before I jump into my first round of sprint challenge. So, um, yeah, very excited to go back and see everyone up there. And I love the radical. It's so much fun to drive. I've done a couple of days in it. Um, yeah, plenty of aero, plenty of grip. So very excited. So we've pretty much covered off everything about Madeline Stewart from uh, the racing side. So let's chat a little bit about what you do away from the racetrack. You actually own and manage your own gym. Like, that's pretty cool. And it's a fit stop. So people who, forgive me if I get this wrong, but for people who don't know what a fit stop is, it's a kind of a similar concept to something like an F45, but way better. And Mads just, like, flipped out when I said that, when I almost compared it to an F45. And I know that she's going to correct me after this. But hear me out. It's so much more fun. It's strength training mixed with cardio and it's just an epic workout and I've been there like three or four times and I've walked out like absolutely wrecked. But you have people like Chas Mostert and pretty much every Gold Coast based race car driver come through the doors and train with you, which is really cool. 
Yeah, so um, I own a fit stop. We've been open about 18 months. I absolutely love it. I have the most amazing community um, and it has taught me so much over the past year and a bit. So yeah, it's basically functional group fitness. Um, we do metabolic conditioning days, weights days and um, endurance cardio days, which really ticks every box as a racing driver, to be honest. Um, those are the kind of things that we need. So yeah, I have Chaz come in, um, give a bit of run for his money. Um, he's um, been a member for a bit and his partner Ree as well. Um, Rihanna Crane and Will Davison have popped in um, a couple of times as well. We've had the Kostecki brothers in too, so um, plenty of fun. And the boys in my team come in as well. Callum's a member and um, my mechanic Pat as well. Um, yeah, so it's plenty of fun. I love being able to share that with people and anytime someone's on the Gold Coast, that they kind of pop in and have a go and do a session with me. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of a random story about how that came about really. Um, I, in 2019, when I moved to Melbourne, I was meant to kind of have a gap year after I finished school and just do racing. Um, but I'm quite a busy person and I get bored very easily. That's and why me and you bond so well because we're like, let's just chill, let's just chill. And then we're signed up for 17 courses and like taking on 90 clients and doing backflips and stuff. Me and Mads yeah. were the same. Yeah, I just, I can't sit still. I need to be kind of achieving things on a daily. And so I, I decided I'd do my cert three and four in fitness. I did it face to face, smashed it out in about 10 weeks um, and ticked that off. And then kind of started looking around for jobs in Melbourne, which to be honest, it's it's a little tricky to kind of get a job and then be like, oh, by the way, I'm going to be away this day and I'm going to be away this weekend and oh, I actually have to go away in two days because I've got test days popped up and, and I kind of never really followed through with anything because it just got too complicated. Um, and then we kind of started um, to look for a business in Melbourne and Dad was quite keen to, to look into a business and, and I proposed the idea of opening a gym or buying a gym at this point. So like a little snap fitness or a 12 round or something that was already established. And um, I kind of went into them and decided that they were not really my vibe, um, not personal enough, not enough kind of connection for me. And we tabled that, moved on. Um, fast forward a couple of months, we decided to make the move to the Gold Coast where I then decided the idea of group fitness would suit me and kind of looked into a few franchises. I tried out a whole heap um, and when I tried FitStop, my first ever session, I nearly spewed as I ran in the door um, right at the end of the session and I remember going home to mum and being like, that's the one. <laughs> kind of Trust you, again. like it is so mad for you to pick the hardest possible thing to do. Yeah. The one that makes you vomit makes you tweak, oh maybe that's the one I should do. That's the one. <laughs> if it didn't make you vomit, it wasn't hard enough. No, exactly. And I honestly, I had the best time. I loved it so much. Um, so, yeah, I kind of started to decide that that's what I wanted to do. Um, I became super passionate about it. I did heaps of research into the different franchises, looked into FitStop, got in contact with them and got the ball rolling and started setting up my business. So I was actually still in Melbourne when I very first started setting it up. Um had quite a few delays throughout COVID and then, um, yeah, opened about 18 months ago and haven't looked back. So what is the biggest thing you've learnt within yourself or within kind of business and fitness life since opening a fit stop and becoming a business owner? Because it's not, it's not all sunshine and rainbows like some people think it is. No, I, um, I'm very lucky that I have the flexibility to plan my days how I want but I really do work kind of 24-7. This girl wakes up at 3.30 in the morning. Like, I've stayed at their house once, and as I was, like, getting up for my midnight wee, she's getting up to start, <laughs> like, making oats and stuff, like, 3 a.m. in the morning. I'm like, are you insane? Are you, like, actually insane? Yeah, yeah. It keeps me very busy. I, I love it, though. I really do. And um, I've learnt a lot. I haven't quite nailed time management yet. Um... <laughs> That's on the list. But in terms of kind of um, interacting with people, um, the connections I've made, I've learned so much about who I am. I've 
gained a whole other level of confidence. Um, I've found kind of my community here on the Gold Coast, made heaps of friends. Um, and yeah, the, the learning is like, I can't even label it. You know, the managing staff, um, customer service, training people, um, everything like that, planning, you know, creating sales, marketing, it's everything under the sun to do with a business falls on me. Um, accounting, dad helped me out with that one a little bit, but it, you know, there's every little thing kind of comes back to me. And my personal favorite part is the coaching, but I do all the other things as well. So plenty of learning. Um, and yeah, just quite, quite a steep learning curve considering I've never even been a personal trainer before a group fitness instructor, let alone a business owner prior to going into this, but very lucky that FitStop trusted a um, young 20-year-old female um, with one of their franchises. So what is next for Madeline Stewart? What's next? Um, maybe some sleep. Um, <laughs> it's been a busy few weeks kind of getting the, um, the gym sorted. It's been hectic at the gym and um, racing's been really busy, but I'm really keen to smash out this year and sprint challenge and you know, get some really good results and yeah, get, get the memberships up at the gym, keep doing both of those things together and yeah. Now, because this is Girls on the Grid, we have to ask, women in motorsport, how can we get more females involved? What's the secret? What do we do? Um, I personally think introducing women or young girls to motorsport at a young age. My theory is that it's no one's fault, but it's a lot more common for parents to take their son to a racetrack when they're little or um, to a go-kart track or a motocross track or something than they are to take their little girl if it's not already in the family. Um, if it's just something they want to do on a weekend, it's, it's not overly common to introduce a girl to it. And I think like that's no, no one's fault, but the sooner we kind of realize that, we can kind of think about it a li little bit more and open it up to young girls. It's definitely, um, it definitely suffers from a bit of like society, societal conditioning, like in the fact that, yeah. you know, girls do dolls, boys do dirt sort of thing. And, and, and probably also like, like the safety element of it and people see moving things and motors. And I know, especially with motocross, people are like, I would never put my four-year-old or six-year-old or eight-year-old on a bike or in a go-kart. But it's, 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 if you learn right, like it's, it's pretty safe, really. I did 18 years of motocross and the worst bones I broke was on a scooter and at the gym. And I did motocross for 18 years, but I broke my wrist and I broke my foot at the gym and I broke, no, I broke my wrist at the, broke my wrist on a scooter and I broke my foot at the gym. And I think I broke a couple of fingers on a motorbike. So it's, it's really, yeah, it's, um, it, the, the safety element is, is. I don't know, it's probably confronting, but it's. I think that is definitely something that would, would stop mothers, probably especially, wanting to put their young girls into, into that sort of motorsporty environment. Not my mum. My mum's like, ah, oh, she'll be right. Not my mum either. My mum and dad bought me a motorbike when I was three and a half and said, see you later. Didn't tell me where the brake was. Didn't tell me where the brake was, and I found it when I hit a tree. Yeah, I definitely think it's about... Um, educating young girls and showing them that this is an option in, in so many forms and programs like Girls on Track are really good for that, you know, visiting schools and introducing motorsport to these young girls because if they don't know it exists, they don't know that they love it yet, you know. It's very easy to see the boys out kicking a soccer ball and be like, oh cool, I'm going to go join in and do that because that looks like fun. But if they don't really know that karting is a thing or that car racing is, is an option for them they're not going to love it yet so yeah it's just about getting the word out there showing people things like this podcast where anyone can listen and um yeah like ladies and guys like take your girls to the racetrack show them teach them put the race on um educate them tell them about it and let and them like, have the option yeah yeah show them that they can do it and there's also definitely a, a barrier for entry that motorsport faces that something like soccer doesn't. So that's something yes. that a lot of a lot of families need to overcome as well. Like I think that mm. the probably base entry fee to, to start riding motocrosses like a couple of thousand dollars 
right off the bat where you can buy a soccer ball for $20, you know, a couple of bit of boots, two, three hundred dollars later, sign your membership fees and you're good to go. There's definitely a barrier of entry when it comes to the expense involved. But my God, it's so worth it. Like motorsport, two wheels, four wheels. Oh, I could not have ever imagined a better way to grow up. No, I can. I couldn't agree more, honestly. Like I said, the family that I have now, I call them family because my friends are like family. So um, that kind of racing community that I have now, I would not have had. And that is honestly second to none. Um, so yeah, there is that barrier, but I'd recommend like taking your daughters and sons, take them out to the local club, show them the racing and then chat to the club about a have a go day. Um, so they often run have a go days where you can take your kids, um, pop them in a go-kart and see what they think. So usually there's like no expense or a tiny, maybe like $50 or something where they um, just have to buy a day license or something like that. Um, and they can just jump in, have a go, and see what they think. So there's also um, there's also programs like Young Sprockets, or yep, is that what yep. it's called? That's a, that's a new thing that's getting around where they just they bring everything and just pop kids in it. Yeah, and like those kind of programs are so great for giving kids the opportunity to try it and see if they like it. And yeah, hopefully we'll get more and more people into motorsport. I actually remember you or maybe Ash telling me a story where someone ask your dad something like don't you wish you had a boy so that he could like really race and do all these cool things and win and stuff and your dad was like uh my girls can do anything that a boy can do and like I was like oh my god yes Tony Stewart like we love that we're so here for that yeah dad actually has it often where guys you know dads um at a go-kart track or something will be like oh bet you wish you had sons and they don't even like, I'm standing there and they don't even understand that that's an insult. Um, and, yeah, no, Dad's pretty straight up. He's like, nope, girls can do the same thing the boys can do, so it doesn't really bother me. Um, so I think Dad's pretty happy with what he's got. And, and he'd say it so much. bluntly too. Like, he'd say it yeah. so, like, if anyone no, who knows him, he'd be like, no, <laughs> my girls can do anything boys can do. Yeah. And, yeah. and they'd be like, the dads would sit there and be like, oh. Yeah. Cool. But it just shows it shows their small mindedness really when they say things like that. Yeah, they just don't they don't even register. They probably think it's a conversation starter. Like they probably think it's yeah. a conversation starter as if your dad's gonna like play that game. Yeah, I know. But I honestly am so lucky. Like the support I have from my family, mum, dad and Ashley, I could not do what I do without them. Um, all three of them have been a huge, huge part of my motorsport career and um, supporting me in my racing and um, yeah so I'm very very lucky and they're a huge part of our team so it's not just me um, when we have success it's not just me it's them as well and um, they come with me everywhere we do everything together so I'm definitely lucky so you know if kids have the support of their parents they can absolutely do anything that they they want to do. So Mads if you could go back to when you were 15, 16, still at high school and give yourself one piece of advice for you right now, what would that bit of advice be? Just keep going. Don't give up. Keep trying. Um, there are so many people out there that um, you can kind of be friends with, you know, and when weekends are hard, it's just character building and we all have hard weekends but it doesn't mean you're not good enough it's just learning um, mistakes happen so so keep pushing keep trying yeah I love that because 15 <laughs> I definitely know that that 15 year old you and me are very different was very different to to who we are now but like although it's awesome to see so many so many more women involved in the sport whether it be from like trying to make it as a career or yeah media you know, volunteering, mechanics, driving. It's so cool to see that slow, it's a slow, it's definitely a slow shift that's happening. What is your advice for any girls that are wanting to get behind the wheel and actually race? I was saying, I need to get started somehow, but but following it through, that's the big, I think the drop-off is the big issue where they get to the, the 10s, the 12s, the social element comes into play, the boys come into play, they, you know, what what is your advice to have them to to follow it through really and, and really stick with it. I mean, like, if you're really passionate about it, don't let someone else get in your way. Don't let someone else tell you that you can't do it or 
that you're a loser for missing out on the things at school or um, you know that you don't fit in, don't let anyone tell you that because you do fit in. You just fit in somewhere else and that's okay. It's okay to fit in at the racetrack and be that person and like I've said it many times in this um, past hour but I have the most amazing friends and the most amazing support especially from my guy friends like my guy friends that race are so supportive of me and my career and um, yeah I'm so lucky so I'd honestly say just if you really really love it keep going make the sacrifices that you have to make but um, but yeah stick it out it's worth it yeah amazing and honestly I think that is the perfect place to wrap up this podcast so Madeline thank you so much for your time tonight to sit and chat I should say today so thank you so much for your time to come and sit and chat with me about all things motorsport women and yeah you have a pretty incredible story and I think a lot of people are gonna yeah have really enjoyed listening to this podcast so yeah thanks yeah thank you for having me it's as always, nice to chat to you. Um, so you make it very easy. But yeah, thank you for having me and thanks for listening. And now I can stop bugging you about coming on the podcast <laughs> with me. Yes, job done. <laughs> now, now we just get Ashley on the podcast. Yes, she's she's got a cool story too. So definitely worthwhile. When she's when we find a break in her busy UK London <laughs> schedule, and I mean she's in, she's in Monaco and she flew to France <laughs> the other day, Lon- London Fashion School, you know. <laughs> It's fine. Don't forget it. Don't, don't forget about us little people, Ashley Stewart, all right? Exactly. <laughs> all right. We're going to wrap the podcast right there. Thank you all for listening to this awesome episode of Girls on the Grid. Uh, as always, we thank you for the support of this podcast and like, share, send it to the world. We know that a lot of young women out there really need to hear Madeline's story because, yeah, it's a pretty good one and it kind of shows you that if you set your mind to something, you can really achieve anything not just in motorsport but in business and life and and all things being a badass so thanks mads and yeah thanks for listening we'll chat to you next week you've just listened to another network r production 